You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coaches, and welcome to episode 80 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am Chrissy Beltran, your host, and I am excited today because we have a guest for a coaching session. This is a real life coaching call where we are going to talk about the challenges that this coach is, is having and what we can do to respond to them and really help support define that coaching role and uh, make sure that everybody, all stakeholders, know what that role looks like in implementation and that they know how to get the support that they need. So, without further Further ado, I would love to introduce my guest. I would love to welcome to the podcast Liz DeVargas Almeida. Welcome, Liz. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm really glad that you joined us today. Um, I think we're going to talk about some important things. We were just chatting about how the issue of having a defined role and having specific structures for coaching, how that is a timeless and evergreen problem because so many coaches are, are thrust into their role without having that framework set up without having any of those structures already in place. And then they are having to build the, the plane as they fly it. So <laughs> that's what I had to do as a new coach. I was building the plane as I flew it. It took a while to get off the ground. I will tell you that. Um, <laughs> so I understand totally what that's like. And um, if anybody else is having that problem, I hope that you are ready to listen in today because we'll hopefully come up with some good, good next steps that we could take. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what the job is that you're currently doing, what that role looks like yes. and who you serve? Sure. I'm uh, in California and I work at a district that has four Title I schools, which works primarily with students that are second language learners and low socioeconomic households. So um, my position is an academic coach specifically targeted on working with English language learners. Mm -hmm. um, but this year is a little different and and there are fewer coaches and broader roles. Mm -hmm. So I'm a do everything kind mm -hmm. of position right now. Sure. Yeah, that, those jobs are always fun. <laughs> um, so you said that you're working primarily with English language learners. That's been your main role. And yeah. are you yourself bilingual? Well, I actually know a few different languages. My first language was not English, mm -hmm. um, but my parents cut me off very early when they saw me um, not being able to interact with another child. So mm -hmm. although I can understand um, our native language, mm -hmm. I don't speak it very well. I'm still kind of stuck at that uh, preschool level. Mm -hmm. um, but I do know, I know I'm Portuguese. We're from the Azores. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother's a two-time immigrant. Um, so we have that background. Mm -hmm. So I speak Portuguese, Spanish, French, and English, and I will say I don't speak any of them well, <laughs> <laughs> but I understand all of them a lot more. And, uh, most of our students that I serve in my current district are Spanish speakers. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of similarities between the Portuguese language yes. and the Spanish language. So that bridge has been uh, wonderful. It helps mm -hmm. me uh, very much. And I think I could communicate pretty okay. <laughs> but we that's also better than not at all. So that's good. <laughs> we also have a lot of support systems around that can help with that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that is very helpful. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I also think it's helpful that you have had the experience of become, being a, uh, a language learner yourself. And, you know, I am a Spanish language learner. I am not strong in Spanish at all. I can understand more than I can speak, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my father's first language, but he didn't teach it to us. That was just, he, you know, he worked all the time. That was kind of how our household worked. So um, we don't have that language at all. My husband, Spanish was also his first language. Um, but he is not, he doesn't read it or write it really. Um, he can, but not to the, you know, to like an academic level. So, um, so yeah, language is fascinating and the classrooms that we work with that serve dual language or bilingual programs that, you know, serve students who speak multiple languages have so many special considerations and they really need a lot of specialized support. Um, so that's been the main focus of your role to this point, right? It is. I, our, uh, most of our students are not um, immigrants themselves. Mm-hmm. We do have a portion of migrant students, mm-hmm. immigrant students, and then those that are more, I, I think, similar to me in that we're children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're running a special level there, trying to fit in mm-hmm. with the current culture around you and also keeping a foot in and tied with your national yeah. heritage. Yes. So it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. What is the bilingual model that your school uses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you all over the place? Um, currently, I'm going to say that we only have one school that is a bilingual school. Okay. And I am not a coach at that school. Okay. Um, I, actually, that's not true. This year, I am a coach there. But they don't use me because they are on their path. They are actually um, this great connected school that works very well together. Um, And we don't have any real strong supports for them specifically as a bilingual school. Okay. Uh, Our other schools, uh, generally the ones that I coach the most, use a SEAL model which is like GLAD. It's actually based on GLAD. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about building in strategies and supports throughout the day and specifically during designated English language development times. Okay. And so then it's specifically focused on you're moving students into English. Do you have like an early exit or a late exit model or is it like all English from day? Is it immersion? And then they have English language development as part of the day. Correct. So okay. it's English all the time with English development as part of the day. And okay. we're trying to, my role is to try and get teachers to use the strategies throughout the day, every subject matter. Right. Okay. Which is difficult, especially if they don't have a background with having to learn another language. They don't mm-hmm. quite understand the struggles that can occur. Mm-hmm. So you were, you mentioned a little bit about how your role, you feel like it's been kind of fluidly defined or undefined. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So I, I've learned a lot about this coaching model and it's so wonderful. And then I open my mouth and it, it's like a shh, don't shh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we, um, this model that I use, the SEAL model that I help support and GLAD model, um, but especially the SEAL teachers learn this strategy, these strategies over a two-year period. Mm-hmm. And so coaches work with them to develop the strategies. We go to training with them, and then we're supposed to help them in the classroom. We model, we give them feedback, we connect with parents, we bring families into the school so mm-hmm. that students can be the teachers. It's really beautiful. However, you need a little bit of 
admin support in this. You need admin to say, mm-hmm, your coaches will be there. Mm-hmm, your coaches will be helping you. Mm-hmm. And your expectation is that you will use these strategies. So somewhere in there, there's a miscommunication. Mm-hmm. So I can't get in to see these classrooms unless I'm invited. Mm-hmm. And we don't have admin that are saying, this needs to happen. Yeah. Well, like it would be nice. And what's really perplexing in this is it's a special model. It's an expensive model Mm -hmm. and it's an agreement. Coaches are part of that agreement. So we were hired specifically with specific California funds for this role. And two of our current administrators were previously coaches in this role. So, Mm. and it's just really not defined when I go to a principal and I say, oh, I'm not quite sure that these are, are being implemented. Mm-hmm. I don't really get that same support where let me help you or let me talk to the teacher or let me observe and get back to you. I don't really mm-hmm. have that. Sometimes certain teachers, certain roles, certain admin, but it's, it's lacking. It's, it's kind of you know, loosey goosey is the best term I have for it. Right. Whatever the flow of the month. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So there's no culture of coaching. There's no, um, there's no culture of, of implementation necessarily. So people go and learn and come back and maybe they do it and maybe they don't. Correct. Mm -hmm. And when they were first learning those first two years, I guess there was a lot. And that was, prior to me, there was a lot more implementation. It was easier to see. And the coaches were there all the time. They were learning with the program and Mm -hmm. everybody was there. The program was there. Our specific coaches were there. They saw great work. When the coaches um, then started rolling back a little bit, putting teachers in the primary focus and the training ended, so did the work. Mm -hmm. And that is not what what we want. We have... In California, we have a high number of long-term English learners, which directly affects our number of students that graduate high school, mm-hmm. that enter and exit college. So we need we need bilingual students. We're not asking anybody to lose a language. We're asking right. everybody to gain languages. And we're working, um, our district is trying to promote this biliteracy seal. Mm-hmm. So it's... Very important here in California, mm-hmm. and I'm sure in, in every state, but I can only speak from my own um, area. So mm-hmm. it's kind of confusing. We, yes. we have you're getting these... mixed messages. I am. Yeah, and <laughs> that means that teachers are too. That means everybody else is too, because there's no alignment in the way that the coaching program is viewed. Um, so there's a couple things that you might try, and some of these you might say, well, I've already initiated that, and that has not panned out. Um, but just some things to think about. You, you talked about how we do have these lifetime English language learners, um, people who are learning the language for the rest of their lives. And sometimes that's because we haven't done our jobs at the time that we could have done it. So I wonder if sharing data with principals, is there any way that you could access like a district level meeting where you can actually share that data and create the need? Or I wonder if there's a way to tie it to state testing. Um, like here we look at that state testing data and it's disaggregated by everything. And we have in my area, every, I mean, the majority of people here are Hispanic in my city and, um, we're like over 85% Hispanic Mm -hmm. and many are, are bilingual or multilingual. Mm -hmm. And so all the schools have some nature of bilingual program, dual language or otherwise. And so we spend a lot of time looking at ELL data, 
because it's so many of our kids and we have to make sure we're serving them. So I wonder if looking at data in that way, is that a practice that principals have right now? Yes. We, I feel like we're looking at ELL data a lot. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then just using our, our district and state testing that -hmm. gives us some information, but then um, aggregating that, you know, the minutia, Mm -hmm. what does it look like by grade level? What does it look like by school? What are we doing to fill those gaps? Right. What's the the plan analysis? Mm -hmm. Um, That's the tricky, sticky, sticky, sticky part. Mm -hmm. I actually have a PD coming up and I've asked my boss um, for some data because I need to do Mm -hmm. some designated ELD professional development. And I asked if we could get some because I am I'm not getting the open doors to visually collect it. Mm -hmm. So then I'm asking admin for it. And although she thought it was a great idea, you still don't don't have it. (laughs) Well, state data, you can pull off probably from some magical website. (laughs) We have a dashboard. Yes, we pull that all the time. Yes. Okay. So then you should be able to break that down by English language learners in each grade level, even in classrooms, really, depending on how it's, you know, um, aggregated for you. But um, that might be one way to look at it and talk to people at the district level who would be on board with creating an action plan. Mm-hmm. of what that could look like at each school. So let's say my school has, you know, um, maybe we have 65% of kids who are coded as ELL because some kids are ELL, but they're not coded that we know how that goes. Right. Yep. Um, so we have 65% and, but we only have maybe 35% of students who are coded ELL are actually being successful on our assessments, let's say. Mm-hmm. So that tells me there's a huge need for the majority of kids on my campus So then if a district official is saying, look, we need to put together an action plan. Um, What are we doing to respond to this data? What are we putting in place? How are we spent tons of money on educating people in these strategies? How are we using these strategies to grow our kids? And not that test data is, I mean, I say it, I'll say it till the rest of, for the rest of my life, test data is not everything. It absolutely is not, but that could be the way you get in the door. (laughs) So you got to use the tools that you have. And that's one of them. Um, so that might be one way if you can get someone from, you know, the language department or bilingual department, whatever that department is, um, to say that it's important and you could be part of that action plan. Sometimes that's, you know, if, if administrators are not really responding, even though they should know the value, sometimes somebody from central or district or whatever you call them is the way to go. All right. It's a, it's a gutsy move, but, (laughs) but if you, it's been three years and you're still not seeing a response, maybe it's time. Right. And, and I'm kind of one of those gutsy people. So (laughs) there you go. Go for it. (laughs) I I don't think they would be surprised. (laughs) Um, Another thing that we've done are. Um, that I've used on, on campuses as I'm trying to think of the proper name for them. Um, but like data walks basically. And you talked about not being able to get visual access to data because you're not being really welcomed. Um, but I wonder if there's something you could set up with a team of people who is interested in learning about where are we now? Um, because that you'll have the data from assessments and then you can say, we really need to corroborate this with what we're seeing in classrooms. So we understand what it means. Right. Because we have to give teachers, we have to get a true picture of what this data looks like, you know, because right. um, sometimes we'll say, well, they're struggling in making inferences or they're struggling in making connections. Oh, maybe they're reading three grade levels below. 
And that's the issue, you know, so we need multiple sources. So really doing like a, like data walks where you make observations about that ELD time or even, you know, during reading time and you see how those strategies are being utilized. Sometimes we've even gone in and this depends on your school culture, but we've gone in after school and we've not made it sneaky, (laughs) but we've gone in after school whenever people are not teaching because that's like a whole stress thing. um, if They're not used to it. And you just kind of read the walls. And just kind of see what artifacts are up. Because GLAD, I'm not familiar with SEAL, but GLAD is very artifact. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Lots of environmental print created, but with you and the kids together. So from there, if you can see, oh, look at that. I see it being used in science. And I see it being used here in writing. Um, But I'm noticing in math, we're not using our tools there. So maybe that's a place that we can focus on. Um, And let's check the data and see if that matches what we're seeing on assessments. That might be one way to go. I love that idea. <laughs> when, when we're, you know, face to face, we actually have at the end of units, we invite the families to come in and we do these mm-hmm. walks. So the kids are teaching their parents. Seal is 90% glad, by the way. Okay. So that, there's that connection. It, it was built from glad. So students are the educator and it's so wonderful. Parents just light up hearing their children. Mm-hmm. Teachers, we get another assessment because we're listening to how our students are yeah. using language. So coaches are in there. This is like our free pass, right? We get to right. be <laughs> admin from all over the district is in there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's press. It, it's really beautiful. Oh, neat. It is great. So that's where we can collect a lot of that mm-hmm. data. But after school, where that that low effective filter, I really love that. So if I could go in, look around using the data from the dashboard and, and the district and then come together mm-hmm. with admin and say, this is what I'm noticing. Yeah. And then build that action plan. Wow. Yes. Both of your ideas are merging so beautifully for me. <laughs> it's all part of the big plan, right? That's what we do is we pull things together to figure out what can we put together that will, that will work for each school because administrators are so different, you know, school culture is so different. And that school culture is is big where Mm -hmm. we are. It's not very open to that Mm -hmm. sharing. I've tried to get the teachers um, for a couple years to open up and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we'll do a pineapple classroom where you can sign up and say, this is really cool. Please come check it out. No, they're, they're fearful of that. Um, My admin has us on Wednesday meetings and is asking teachers to share at those meetings. What are you doing? What Mm -hmm. what did you do? professional development and, and teach your peers because mm-hmm. we learn so well. Crickets, crickets. We're really fearful of sharing. Mm-hmm. And when we're asked to open doors, it, everything goes through all the union pieces. Like, it, oh yeah. And so then what's hurting us and what's helping us can sometimes get confused. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I want to help and I don't want to judge. I don't, I, I don't right. want, I'm not in charge of that. Right. <laughs> no matter right. how much I say that, it, people feel the way they feel. Yeah. And it's, it's based on so many factors. Um, you know, the experience that they've had in the past and, you know, maybe rumors that they've heard about the role and what this previous person came in and did. Right. I don't know. Um, so that might be worth it. I, this year is, 
is rough, but maybe, you know, the spring or the following year, um, really establishing, and I don't know, maybe you've already done something like this, but really establishing what that role is and looking at what kinds of services you want to provide. Mm -hmm. And so if you can nail down the exact services that you're available to provide, at least people will know that you're there as a support and not as an evaluator. Yes, I, I agree with you. I've actually used something that you've made and I'm trying to think of it because I feel like I've been away for eons right now in this weird time. Yeah. <laughs> I've posted my services. So I gave it to Adam. The menu? The coaching and, menu? Yes, the menu. Yes. So I posted it and I emailed it. Okay. So people were aware. And I love that. And a few people, you know, kind of chimed in. And then of course you always have this base of people who are like, I love you. Come in anytime, do anything. Right. <laughs> Or they know exactly if they have a problem, they call, they email. Right. So those might be the people that you leverage to get into other places. Right. So sometimes those people are well-loved. Sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But on a campus, if you can think of one person at each school or maybe one person in primary and one in upper elementary, could you work with those rooms to make a model classroom? And then, so it's not that it's a perfect classroom, but it's a, a classroom in which other teachers can start learning from that classroom and interacting. So Pineapple PD is really cool, but it does rely on people want like kind of um, spontaneously wanting to share. And so that can take a while to build that culture. And it is really hard. Um, So sometimes we have to do the behind the scenes work. If you go the Pineapple PD, we have to do the, I'm going to actually initiate this by saying, Hey, you should sign up for this because I saw this thing in your class. It was really cool. Um, (laughs) so if we do the model classroom, then we can really build a relationship with that teacher. If it's a pretty strong teacher, then that sets the tone that we're not here to support teachers or fix them when they're having trouble. We're here to grow every teacher and be a support, you know, partner. And, um, so that model classroom could be a place where you, you implement things. You can make little videos of things and share them with other people, uh, across the campus, create a little video hub. And then you can also start inviting people over time. As long as that teacher's, you know, you've established with that teacher that that's what the purpose is going to eventually be is to invite other people to either watch you teach or to watch them teach or both like Mm co-teaching. And sometimes once you've established that, relationship with one, other people are like, oh, this process is not as intimidating as I expected it to be. Um, we sh- maybe I can do that too. <laughs> it's kind of a, a oh, you get your one door open, get your foot in the door, and then you can sometimes use that to get into other doors. I love that. I love that too. <laughs> I'm thinking of specific teachers. Where yes. Like, that would exactly work. They're well-respected. Mm-hmm. They're just showing amazing pieces. And those are the people I already have relationships with that right. are using these pieces. And they're pretty frank about pieces that they're not. And because okay. they're so strong, mm-hmm. you can actually have a beautiful discussion and agree or agree to disagree. It's, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. These relationships. So that's great. Having them as a model classroom. I love that. Yay. <laughs> That's great. And model classrooms are fun because you get to spend a lot of time with them and you get to know the kids and um, you get to do like a lot of coaching cycles there and try things out and you can try things out. Like you said, they know that there are areas that they're not as strong. And so they can say, well, let's work on this. I would let, let me see you do it. And then you can do it and then you can model and then you can build from that. And, and it just creates a really nice relationship that at least the, the danger is getting stuck there because it's so nice to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> But at least you can start developing that relationship there and show what kinds of value there is in coaching support. And then that person can serve as like a commercial 
<laughs> for other teachers to say, yeah, it was really cool. We did this really cool thing. You want to come see it? And then hopefully the doors will start to open a little bit more. I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm writing names. I'm like this. <laughs> yes, good, good. I'm glad you have ideas. It's always good to know, you know, who your people are that you can start with. You want to start with a friendly, right? <laughs> the one right. that's going to be welcoming. It's a good place to start. So now you'd also mentioned in your, in your original email about um, that you've been pulled, you're primarily being asked to do a lot of intervention right now. Right. You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> sure. So two days a week, I'm to do intervention at one site and that principal has asked for uh, first and second grade reading. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, other, the other two days of the week, I'm, um, have been asked by that principal to do fifth grade reading mm -hmm. and to work with fourth grade. And fourth grade has said, nope, that is really not what we're interested in, but our kiddos didn't get what they needed in math. Can you help them with math? Mm -hmm. So as I was told by my superior, I should be working with reading but the principal really wanted support with math and that's what the teachers really wanted. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm doing. So <laughs> yeah. we will have to pay the piper at some point, but right now I'm helping the kids where they need help. Okay. And then one day a week, I'm supposed to be supporting a school that really doesn't ask for much, mm -hmm. um, but I'm new to that school. And because we're not face to face, it's a little harder for them right. to reach out to me. So they're still using um, one of the coaches that they had in the past and she'll either help or she'll pass it on to me. Okay. Um, so depending on the situation, because I have more intervention than she does, she mm -hmm. tends to take care of it. Um, but it's just that weird shift that we don't have these strong relationships yet. So I right. send them emails and love notes and resources. Yeah. But um, once they get to know me, it'll be a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. So I do intervention. I do three groups uh, every day. Okay. School on the site. And at the same time, I have these new teachers. So if you enroll into our district or you become a teacher in our district and you're at one of the sites that, that has a, um, a, is a Title I school, then you will be either using SEAL or GLAD. So my role is still to support those teachers. Mm -hmm. But then I need to do intervention and being told not to coach. Don't coach so much mm -hmm. means don't coach. However, I have to go to training with them. It's part of the role. I have to answer their questions. Mm -hmm. If they ask for modeling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have um, webinars set up with them to, to help them along. So I don't know what to do besides working a lot and not complaining. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was always asked to do a lot of intervention, especially in the spring as well. Texas is a very test heavy state. Um, and so, and there are big consequences for schools that are not successful and for kids that are not successful, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, a serious issue and it does, it starts to stretch your role in different directions, um, especially in the springtime. So I wonder if some of the things that I found that were helpful to me, and I'm not sure how helpful they'll be to you because it depends on 
what your, like where your kids are coming from, if they're from all different classrooms or, but one thing that I used to do is I would take my group on tour is what we called it. And so this was, I mean, we were physically in the same building, but I would, if I had a small group of students, I would let teachers know, Hey, I'm taking my group on tour this week and I can come work with my group of students in your classroom while your kids are independently working on something. And that way you can observe me trying out this new strategy. And so that's a way to do like a little bit of modeling while you're also providing intervention. So we used to do that a lot. Um, And even recording yourself now would serve a similar purpose. You could record yourself doing that video of whatever intervention strategy you're using with the kids. And you can say, hey, I'm creating a little bank of intervention strategies that might be helpful. So it's not like direct coaching. It doesn't look like a coaching cycle necessarily. Um, But it can be, I mean, you could function it that way because you could literally co-plan with the teacher that was interested in it and say, okay, this is my kid's data. This is what I'm going to focus on. This is the strategy that I'm going to use. And then you could model the lesson and then you could have a debriefing conversation while they talk about how they're going to apply that learning. So you could use it as a coaching cycle or you could just use it as, hey, here's this video of a cool idea you could try. Um, and that was really helpful to people. They, they got a lot out of that, even though it wasn't even their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes even their grade level. I would take fourth graders to third grade because, you know, if that's who needed me at the time, that's where I would go. Mm-hmm. And um, they really appreciated, oh, like this is where this is heading. Now I have an idea. And you're scaffolding at a much lower level than fourth grade. So that might work for my third graders too. Um, another kind of support is it doesn't work with virtual, but I'm going to share it because it may work for you at some point in the, pers- in the future is okay. push in support. So instead of pulling kids out for support, if a teacher had a group of students that I needed to work with, I would push into that classroom. And so we would each have our own little spot and they would provide intervention in one part of the room and I would provide intervention. But instead of pulling the kids out and me unilaterally planning and doing my own thing, we would plan together. Um, we, and she could hear the lesson that I was delivering. And sometimes I would overhear the language that I was using with my kids. I would hear it coming from the other end of the room too, because they started to embrace that language. Um, whenever you're like really giving specific thought processes and think alouds and stuff. And sometimes that's not the teacher's strength. They would listen and say, Oh, that's how I could say that. And I found that that had a really good um, impact on teachers whenever I could push in rather than pull out. And also mm-hmm. kids compartmentalize learning. So I yeah. always wonder how much of an effect we have when we pull kids out for things like this anyway, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another thing you might, you could do, is I know you're trying the teachers are probably very focused on intervention right now as well is that one school that is not really that excited. <laughs> they not, thought they're not excited about you, but they just don't know you yet. Right. Sometimes you can say, Hey, I learned this really cool strategy and I just want to borrow a class so I can try it out. Does anybody have a class I could borrow <laughs> and you can watch me teach it and try it and see what you think. But I really would love to try this with a group of kids. I learned that from a friend of mine. I, I thought that was really clever because she actually had people take her up on it because it's yeah. low stress level. You know, you're modeling. Um, and then the teacher can get to know you a little bit and start asking questions uh, without the stress of you going and observing or anything like that. I've tried that out before and I think it works really well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then maybe try it with this school that's, that's doing pretty well. And they, you know, maybe they just would like some new ideas. I'll try that. I'll try that. Um, so this, this is very interesting because the students that I'm, so I'm thinking my upper grade teachers that I'm providing support for, mm-hmm. I'm just going to really focus it on, on the, those fifth grade teachers because mm-hmm. their students are reading so far below um, 
-hmm. And we're using all these assessments and those assessments really still give you a big picture. They, the ones that we're using are not boiling it down far enough. So I was able to, I, because I have a background with reading intervention and literacy, I was able to pick out some specific needs. And these teachers don't have a background in the lower grades and reading. So I love that idea. I think I should record some of those strategies when I'm working with their students, mm -hmm. because this is just a problem that we're going to continue to have face-to-face, -face, virtually, yeah. whatever. Um, it, and for us, that's um, that sounds spelling. Our students are not making those connections mm -hmm. with letters. <laughs> All the different ways to make the a ah or a sounds. Uh -huh. There's more than a. Yes. And, and that's interfering with their reading comprehension. Right. So our assessments will just say reading comprehension. Well, oh, yeah. You know, we we right. could tell you that too. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. When you that, say, well, where are they struggling? Well, comprehension. You know, that's yeah. kind of a big umbrella. That could be a lot right. of things. And maybe right. it's not even the root of the problem that they're struggling with. <laughs> so I think, I think that's great. Really helping those teachers. They're not necessarily asking for it, but mm -hmm. I think they would appreciate it because they know there's an issue. And right. I give them weekly updates on what's happening with their students. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think this would be a great way to update them and to teach them so they can infuse that within their classroom. Yes, if we can build those bridges. See, whenever we pull kids out, we're, we're like separating things and put it, they put it into a special little box in their brain. They're like, well, this is what I do with Miss So-and-so. Right. But if we can build those bridges and the teacher can reinforce and we can reinforce and we can go back and forth, they're more likely to apply what they're learning in other rooms into their, their classroom. So yeah, and then the teachers, if they're struggling in that, and that happens frequently with teachers who work with students in upper grades and they don't have that phonics background. Mm -hmm. um, I had to do a lot of learning about that myself. I was a fourth grade teacher for, for years and I had to do a lot of learning about phonics instruction because just because the kids are in fourth grade doesn't mean they have it. They show up and they've missed it and you don't know it because you haven't taught it. Right. So that would be a really good um, foundational tool. I know a lot of teachers who would work with their kids in that way if they knew what to do. Right. I, and this, this is the group of, of teachers who are all aboard. Like if, yeah. if you tell me, because I just don't know what I don't know. Yes. They are wonderful, amazing teachers and they make such a great impact. Mm -hmm. So thank you for just saying that. That's just a great connection. I think they would appreciate it. That's great. I'm sure they would because this will help them frame, like whenever they start the next school year, they can think these are some pieces I want to have in place at the beginning of the year to make sure that my kids have a foundation when we get started. Um, and if you use any kind of guided reading or anything, you know, anything like that, it's, it's good to have those pieces because teachers really just don't know how to respond whenever kids are lacking those foundational skills. Right. So that'd be a great little video hub and you can pull it up at any time if it's organized. And if you're doing a workshop, you can say, well, I have a lesson that, you know, that I did that showcases this and I can share this with you. I love that. I'm so, so excited. <laughs> that's good. I'm so glad you got some ideas that you think might work and things to try out. At least it's something to try. And then whenever that doesn't work or if parts of it work, then you can always, you know, try something else. But sometimes we're just like, I've done everything. What else can I do? <laughs> you know? Right. I, I love this because I really have to, the frame isn't there. And that kind of bothers me. Right. So the way I've tried to attack it is not working. So I really appreciate you just showing me. Sometimes we just need a different perspective. 
right? And how can I attack it in a different way? Right. And I love that. I love that. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm so happy. Well, thank you so much then for joining us today. And I'm sure that other people got some ideas from this too, because these are challenges that are really common. Um, people having to define their role from scratch, people having to get into schools or classrooms where the administrator isn't really supporting you in getting in there and, um, and being told to do intervention as your primary job whenever that's not your primary job. So, <laughs> so yeah, that is, those are very common challenges, but I'm glad that you joined us today to talk about those because I'm sure it's going to help other people. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. And then the coaches next week, is going to be in episode 81. I'm going to talk about how not to be one more thing, kind of what we're talking about here, helping teachers solve the problems that they have, um, providing the resources that they need and being the resource that they need so that you are not so afraid to get into those classrooms and feel like you are, um, sometimes we feel more like a burden than a support. And whenever we envision ourselves that way, we're getting in our own way. So that's what next episode is going to be about. And I hope you come back next week to chat about that. Until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.